You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read a couple verses here, and then a little later on we're going to move to Titus. So we're going to be another book over to the right. Uh, or a couple books, so uh, keep your finger here for now, though. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6 is where we're going to begin. The Bible says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But re- uh, refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that it now is and of that which is to come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you for everyone that's here tonight, Lord. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity that uh, I have to stand up here this this evening. Lord, I pray that uh, you will be with our pastor and Miss Yvette as they're away. Lord, I pray that you'll give them a good refresher, help the conference to go well, and obviously give them safety as they return. Be with us tonight, Lord. Help me to say the things you'd have me say and steer clear of those that you would not. Um, I need you up here. Don't want to do it on my own. Uh, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all he's done for us. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. So when I was in junior high, so middle school, I guess, 7th, 8th grade, um, I went to a Christian school and we had PE, right, physical exercise, like the PE class. And I don't know if you guys had this, but when I was in junior high, my PE teacher was a former Marine, right? Like, that was, seems to be the PE teachers. That's where they fall, former Marine. Really, like, real short haircut, just a little bit still on top. I and mean, he'd been on the Marines for a long time, but he thought we were still part of the Marines. Like, he thought that we, you know, as 13- and 14-year-old boys, we wanted to be in the Marines. And so I felt like PE class, at least in the wintertime when you had to come inside, we were in the Marines, like we were training for war, we were training for battle, he was making us do things that 13-year-olds probably should, I mean, I didn't think as a 13-year-old should be doing, but we were doing them. Um, and this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, part A, was our memory verse. Real easy to memorize, for bodily exercise profiteth little. So his point was, is that body exercise is important. It is important. It's important to stay fit. It's important to take care of yourself. It's important to take care of the temple, right, of the Holy Spirit. But it does profit little. And we had to, I remember, laying after doing sit-ups and push-ups and jumping jacks and burpees and all those things that just, ooh, shudder, just thinking about them today. We'd lay on the gym floor, sweating, and we'd have to get the piece of paper out and we'd have to write the verses out. We'd have to answer the questions. And I remember writing this verse out Two years straight, two years in a row, writing that verse out and thinking, yeah, bodily exercise does does profit, but man, it could profit a little bit less because I have to go to class after this. And you remember, boys, guys, as 13, 14-year-old guy, kind of stinky, right? Like you didn't always smell the best. And after doing push-ups and sit-ups and all those things, it was even worse. So you had to go through school for the rest of the time after that. And I remember that verse. It stuck in my head. So we're not going to talk about exercise today. That's not the, the sermon or the, the, the lesson tonight. What we're going to talk about is part B of that verse specifically. 
Um, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, where we're living today, and that which is to come. So the word godliness comes from the word euseba, the Greek word euseba, and it means piety, holiness, reverence, uh, devout. Um, and the Bible is telling us to live in a godly way, and I don't think any of us in here would be like, wow, what a revelation. We're supposed to be godly. We all, we all know this. Um, but we're going to take a little specific direction today. Who in here is a parent? Raise your hand if, you, if you're a parent. Any grandparents too? Yep, okay. Uncles, aunts. Um, how many of you have a parent? Raise your hand if you have a parent. Okay, good. So everybody has parents. That's, that's a good thing to know. Um, when speaking with the youth, as Ryan had mentioned, I've been taking care of that for a while, and we've done a lot. We've learned a lot. We've gone through a lot of different places in the Bible. We talked about heaven. We've gone through Romans. We've talked about prayer. Um, and we've learned a lot, hopefully. I've learned a lot just myself teaching and putting that weekly schedule together and having to get up and teach in front of these wonderful, wonderful young people that you all bring to church. Um, and it's, it's helped me grow a lot. Hopefully it's helped them grow. Um, I also teach an, an adult couple's Sunday school class. Um, and that has also pushed me to grow and, and pushed me to, to learn and, and challenge myself as much as any of anybody that comes to that class. So when it comes to living a godly life and being godly, we can look at our life, and as people look at our life, we can look at our external circumstances, externals, uh, the things that it appears our life is. So I can look at every single young person that comes to, to the class, and I can look at their life and look at what they want me to see. And we all do that. We come to church, especially when we come to church, we put on our external facade. We put, you know, we, we, we get ready, we look nice, we, we leave. I've always, I say this in the couples class a lot of times, you know, we all come in, most of us have smaller kids, and none of us yell at our kids in the car as we're coming to church. They're never fighting. They're always perfect. But if that, maybe you have to instruct them and correct them in the back seat. As soon as you get to the parking lot of church and you get out and you walk in those doors, you, you like float in everything. You're, you have the perfect family, your kids are the perfect angels the entire way here to church. Their tie is tight. Their shoes are tied. No one pulled anyone's hair. Everyone's just perfect, and we float in as if we have the perfect family with the perfect kids, and everything's great. And that's what we look like when we come to church. And that's the external show that we give everyone. Not a bad thing. We should be on our best behavior. We should do our best and, and be ready to hear what God has for us when we come to church. But our external life, our external viewpoint, should be a reflection of what's in here. Not just a facade. Not just something we put on when we come to church, but who we are. And it reflects who we are, and what people see of us is not just a fake storefront, but the actual heart of us, the actual godliness that is there, and that should show because that's who we are inside. Not because we're faking it, not because we're pretending to be something we're not, but because that's truly who we are. Now, when you deal with children, up to youth, uh, if they're in patch or peewee patch right now, most kids, we're going to transition here a little bit, most kids will obey their parents because they said so. How many times have we used that phrase? Brush your teeth. Well, why? Because I said so. Do you really want to get into gingivitis discussion with your seven-year-old? Probably not, but when they get older, when they graduate from patch and they, they become important, they become 
you know, you don't, you don't call them children anymore. They're, they're youth. They're young people. They've graduated to some status, and they, they enter the youth room, and you tell them to do things. Because I said so doesn't always, doesn't always work, does it? Because I said so starts to get questioned. Because I said so doesn't always become immediate obedience, does it? Now, this is for the young people as much as it is for the non-young people for when it comes to godliness. If our externals as a parent, okay, um, or any other adult, if our external example is merely a cover, is merely just that facade, the brain of a 12-year-old plus, for most of them, uh, will be able to connect the dots, that it is pretend, that it is not fully real. And when it's your own children, and they live in the house with you, and, I mean, be honest, your children see the best and worst of you. They see you without your makeup in the morning, Mom. They see you, dads, without your hair combed before you go to work or when you come home from a rough day at work. They see your flaws. And when they start to get older, they start to become the teenager that we all love so very much. You guys are the best. Did I tell you that yet? You're the best. Um, they start to connect those dots, and they start to see, well, is what mom and dad say who they really are? And it may not be a cognizant, on-purpose thought, but even subconsciously, they start to make those connections. And that affects their spiritual growth down the road. So when we look at our externals and how we present ourselves as adults, as parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, anyone that has kids that we influence one way or another, we have to remember we're, we're still kids ourselves. If you're saved, born again, you're God's child. You're a child of the Father. You're Heavenly Father. And just like you tell your kids, do this because I said so, or do this for this reason, God has those instructions for all of us, doesn't he? And we can look at how we respond and how our relationship is with our Father and how we respond in obedience to our Father and if you're having a hard time with your kids, they just aren't obeying. They aren't, you know, giving you, maybe they are giving you attitude, or there may be something there that you would like to tweak and make a little bit better. Look at yourself and your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Are there things in this Word that, eh, you don't really obey all the way? Are there things in God's Word or messages that you'll hear pastor preach that you'll be like, oh, that's good for them, but eh, that's not for me. Or, that sounds real good, but that's not how I want to be. How are you with your Heavenly Father? How is your child-father relationship with Him? And if it's not perfect, which I don't think any of us would say we have a perfect relationship, it's something we're always working on, where we're, our kids are going to get their examples from us. So we need to look at ourselves and how our, make sure our externals match what's in our heart. So, if we're supposed to live a life of godliness because it is profitable, how do we do that? How do we make sure that our internal our heart shows our external views, not just to be fake, but to actually be there. Turn over to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Just a couple books over. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. So we want to make sure that our internal heart, 
which that's where the heart is. It's, you don't have an external heart, in case you're wondering. The only heart you have is the internal one. But when you're inside, who, who you are, what your heart is, your, your viewpoint of God, your relationship with your Father, if we want to make sure that that's right, we, there are things that we need to do. You can't just get saved, and I've heard uh, a, a friend of my dad's that he worked with for a long time witness to, wasn't saved, witnessed to over and over for years, would witness to him, witness to him. He didn't want anything to do with it. Then one day he got saved. And he, he, he bowed, he prayed, he got saved, he understood, and, and shortly after getting saved, he just kind of went back to living the way he was before. And I remember my father telling me the story of him going to his friend and saying, Terry, you know, why, you know, you got saved, your life changed, but you went right back to all the things you did before, why? And he wasn't going to church, he wasn't getting fed, and his response was, well, I got my fire insurance, I'm good. His viewpoint was, I'm not going to hell. I have my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven, so I just I live the way I want to. I just do what I want. And it wasn't always necessarily everything was wicked. He was just living his own way, in his own selfish way. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can get the attitude and the mindset of, I'm saved. I'm, I, maybe I'm in a Christian home. I come to church all the time. Um, that's good enough. That's good enough. But there are things that are required of us to live that godly life. What are some of those things? So I have an illustration. This is where you guys are going to help me. All right, let's see here. You guys ever played Jenga? No? No one's ever played Jenga? Okay, good, thank you. So Jenga. And this one's called Blockade, so it's not really Jenga, but it's, it's the same, similar thing. So we have Jenga. So we know how this works. You, you stack the blocks and you try to pull them out without having the tower fall. You know what you're going to do, don't you? So our life is like the game of Jenga. These are all the components of your life. These are all the things that you need to live a godly life. And you're, if you do these things, God will bless you. You will, you will prosper. Like the Bible said, it's profitable for you. That's beneficial for you. To live a godly life is profitable. That, when you profit, that's a good thing for you personally. And profiting is good. So living a godly life is profitable to you. Even though sometimes the selfishness outweighs the godliness and we think that that's more profitable because it's what we want, not realizing that God has something way better in store for us than what we want. So, there are components to a godly life, some things that you need to have. And you can pretend to have them. You can come to church and it looks like you have a godly life. You can pretend that the things that God says we should have and do, you have them. And it can trick and fool some people, even ourselves. But you can't pretend to have something that you really don't have with God. You can pretend to me. You can pretend to pastor. You can put up a facade and it looks like you got it all together. You do the things that God expects you to do. You're living a godly life to the best of your ability. And, in, and you could fool any human. But God is not fooled by your pretending. God is not fooled by your facade. He sees right through it. So if this is our life, this is... Uh, the things that God wants us to do. Do I have to ask for volunteers? Or should I just name someone to come up here? Angie, come here. So Angie's going to be the versed guinea pig. Come over here on this side, over here, and uh, just pick one. Take it out. Please don't knock it over the very first time. No pressure. Boom. There you go. Put it down. Thank you. So from your perspective, can you see anything missing, really, from over here? doesn't even look like she did anything. But... We're not reading our Bible, not daily. 
We bring it to church, but we don't read it like for ourselves, for a relationship with God. But no one knows that. Like from their perspective, from your perspective, you can't tell that this life, the first time they picked up their Bible since Sunday was today. And that may be some of us out here, but you can't tell that. But you know what? It's, it's missing. A, spot, a piece is missing out of this godly life, what God wants us to do. And right now it's fine. Right now it looks okay, but it may not stay that way. Uh, let's see. Come on, Lydia. Come on up. You can do the next one. Oh, you're, you're just going at it. All right. Uh-huh. Okay, there we go. All right, so now you can see that one, can't you? You can see that that one's missing. But we can, we're still sturdy. We're not falling. We're not tipping over. We aren't falling into sin. We aren't going to the bars on the weekend. We aren't doing things that are just obvious we shouldn't be doing. But now I don't have a prayer life. So I don't read my Bible consistently. I have a prayer life. And now I don't have, or I don't have to read my Bible, don't have a relationship with God that way. And now I don't pray regularly. I pray when Ryan comes up here and prays. And I pray when Pastor comes up here and prays for the service. And those are great. I, I'm with that. I'm, I'm behind that prayer. But I don't pray. I don't talk to God on my own. Like that's, or I try sometimes, but it just doesn't work out. It feels like it's just hitting the, hitting the ceiling, coming right back down. So I give up real easy. I don't have a prayer life. But I look like when I come to church, I'm living a godly life. I've got, I might even have my own self fooled, that I'm fine, I'm stable, I'm sturdy, I'm good. Okay, who's next? Carlos is taking his jacket off. Come on up, Carlos. You're, like, you're getting ready. It's like, all right, here we go. Strategic move. Oh, whoa. Brave. Uh, second thoughts. <laughs> there we go. All right. Easy. And I see some of those are in there snug. These are a little looser. Well, now, now I'm missing something else. So if I start with, I just don't read my Bible consistently, I'm probably not going to pray very often, which means I don't really know God very well. I'm saved. I have my fire insurance, quote-unquote. But I don't have a relationship with God. Like, I don't talk to him. I'm not concerned with his thoughts on my life. And now I have a problem with my thought life. Now what goes on in here, and what goes on in here that literally no one else knows. One of the easiest things for you to mask. You can even hide it from yourself and pretend like what you think about, what you dwell on, the thoughts that you have are fine. But the thing, the one place in your heart, right, the one corner in your mind, remember the Looney Tune cartoons? I love Looney Tunes. And they'd go, someone would go into somebody's mind and there's all these doors. And they'd go like Bugs Bunny would be opening the doors, finding all these things in this character's mind. And he'd go into the one door and it's like, there are cobwebs everywhere and dust everywhere. He's like, eee, shut that door real quick. That door in your heart and in your mind that nobody goes into but you. No, you don't even tell your spouse. You don't tell your mom. You don't tell your dad. You don't tell your best friend. That door in your heart and in your mind that no one else sees, well, now, what, what's the, where are you at on that? What do you allow into your mind? What do you allow into your eyes that affects your mind, affects your heart? What do you think about? What do you dwell on? What are the thoughts that are there? The Bible tells us that our heart on its own is deceitfully wicked. Your own heart will deceive you if you let it, if you don't have time with God, if you don't talk to Him. 
your thought life is going to be askew as well. All right, Devin, come on up. We're doing good. Like, we aren't falling. Everything's stable. Everyone looks just fine. Oh, yes. He did it. So easy. Very good. Thank you. So, yeah. yeah round of applause. That was brave. Um, so now we, we're missing some things. Things are looking a little sparse, but, you know, we're okay. We're still stable. Um, now we're missing, right here, we're missing a, a good attitude. We're missing an attitude with, uh, that's positive. We, we give our authority figures attitude. And this isn't just for youth, right? This could be like, oh, this is, this is good for teenagers. They should be reading their Bible and praying. Don't wait till you're 30 years old to do stuff like that. But adults, you got an attitude with your boss? Is your boss a real big jerk? Does he not give you what you deserve? Does he not notice the things that you do that he should notice or she should notice? You have some coworkers that you will not, you won't, you won't do anything to help them out. You, you steer clear. If they fail, that's good. What kind of attitude do we have? Young people, what kind of attitude do we have with our parents? Is it, is it a chore to get you to do anything at home? Is it like pulling teeth to just get you to just go, go with the flow? Do you give your parents attitude? Do you give them lip? Uh, it, it, it doesn't just start here. As I mentioned, it starts like the patch age when they get to that sixth grade area. I'm experiencing a little bit of it myself. There's always an explanation as to why he can't, why he didn't, right? I mean, we've been there. All of you adults, you were there. You remember, unless you were the perfect child, you remember all the things that you did to try to get out of things or just you knew better. What 12-year-old doesn't know better than his father? Most do, right? And that's, that's how they feel, the attitude that is there. All right, we're going to move, move along a little bit quicker. So you, you, everyone else looked out. You're welcome. Let's see, let's see. Here we go. All right, got one. Oh, it's scary. So here we go. We're going to take out, we're going to take out some obedience. Now we don't just, we, we don't obey our parents all the time. Look at that. But sometimes we don't even obey the Bible. Like there are things in the Bible that just aren't for us. We don't have, and when we don't have that obedience, we lack respect for it too, right? If you're not obeying your parents, you don't have respect for them. If you're not obeying everything in the Bible, then you lose respect for God. You're not giving God the respect he deserves. And, and now we're starting, we're starting to miss things. We're a little askew. Our life is askew. If, if people were to come look at us, they'd be like, oh yeah, you're pretty stable. It looks like, all right, you're missing a few things, but who's perfect? No one's perfect. Everyone's going to have to work on something, and that is true. So you look fine. doesn't look like we're too bad. And we continue on, and we, this list could go on forever. I'll do one more. Um, caring about others, empathy. God tells us to love others, right? Like we love ourselves. It's one of the greatest commandments, Jesus says, to love your neighbor as yourself. And when we get to the point where selfishness is how we live, because if we're not reading our Bible, we're not praying, we have attitude towards our parents, towards our authority, even towards the Bible, we, we lose some respect, we aren't obeying everything, we're going to run into a point where others are definitely not number one on our list. It's us. It's, we take care of number one, look out for ourselves, and we live the life based on what we want. And we start losing pieces, and pretty soon, you keep losing pieces, you keep thinking that you're going to be okay, and one of these times, you're going to pull one, and it's not going to end up right. And you're going to fall, and your life's going to fall apart. 
And you're going to get to the point where you've taken enough out of what God says to do, the godly life, living a godly life, which is profitable, but you've, you've got it figured out. Teen, adult, anywhere in between. You've got it figured out. You know how your life runs best. And if it includes some of these things, then great. If it doesn't, well, it's my, I know what I'm doing. And we, we, we tend to, we'll, we shift our focus away from godliness. And here, as it says in verse number 12, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Meaning we put our focus on the next thing in our life. Whatever, whatever your goals are, and goals are good, we should have goals. Nothing wrong with wanting a nicer house, a nicer car, a better job, a raise, nicer clothes. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what we focus on, and that's all our life consists of, we're, we're shifting away from where godliness is and we're shifting towards ungodliness. Your heart will falter. If you keep pulling those pieces out, you don't read your Bible, you don't pray. I keep harping on those main things. There are a lot more that go to it, but if you're not doing those things, that's a big one. You probably got a bunch of little ones around it. As a parent and as a, an adult, an example, we need to look at ourselves, whether we're, again, whether we're a parent, whether our, maybe our kids are out, of the house, and we're Sunday school teachers, or we're adults that children look up to. Maybe it's grandkids, nieces, nephews. Every one of us in here has some circle where there's children in it that look to you as an adult. And you're here at church on a Wednesday night, so you profess to be a Christian. You profess to try to live a Christian godly life. Kids will look at that. They will see that. And as a parent, as an example, we need to make sure that we're making sure all our pieces are in there making sure we've got our pieces in line so that we're the example we're supposed to be. We're God's child, like I mentioned earlier. God expects all those things from us just like you expect them from your kids. When it comes to being a parent, don't just tell, show them. Right? Show them by example. Don't just tell them because I said so, but show them why. Don't demand, display. Again, goes to showing. Instead of demanding that they do something, display it by the way you respond to God. When God tells you something, do you come down to the altar? When God speaks to your heart on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, does, do you come down to the altar? Your kids see that. They know. Are you responsive? Don't push. Lead. We see that at work a lot of times. There'll be the poster hanging up or show, show a leader um, I forget what the other word they use. We'll have someone sitting on a throne, like snapping a whip, telling people to pull this cart along. And, and I think dictator, ruler, something like that. And then they'll show a leader pushing the cart or pulling the cart along with everyone. But when it comes to parenting, don't push your kids, lead them, show them, be an example. Uh, prove your beliefs and biblical standards by your life. Prove your beliefs and your biblical standards. You have standards in your home. There are things you do, there are things you don't do. They differ from other people in this room, in their home. But prove your biblical beliefs and your biblical standards by your example. Prove it to them, especially as they get older. They need to be proven. Don't be afraid to be open and approachable. Now, I don't have any teenagers yet in my, own, in my home. My oldest is, he'll be 12 here in a couple weeks. Um, so as, as I've been reading and studying, I've, it's helped me way, way before tonight. So I'm, I'm not up here saying that I'm the, 
the authority on this subject, as I've not experienced it personally, but I, I believe these are great uh, things to do and keep in mind. So be open and be approachable. Um, don't, if you're tense about letting your children inspect your life, like as they get older, right, as they, as they get to these lovely people right here, and they ask questions and they want to know why you do the things you do, don't be tense and afraid of letting them see and letting them ask and letting them in. Be approachable. Be open. Uh, again, your kids of all people know that you're flawed. They know you're not perfect. None of us are. No, I don't think anyone grew up with perfect parents. Parents make mistakes, sometimes big ones. But that's okay. Be open. Be honest with them. Learn. As long as you're willing to learn and willing to become better and doing what God wants you to do and trying to do that, mistakes are going to happen. But if you can show that you genuinely love God, like you really love Him, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, and your life is a pursuit of that godliness, you'll be happy to welcome examination. They're, they're looking already anyways. They're examining what you do. You'll be happy to welcome questions. You want them asking you questions. You don't want them asking somebody else. You don't want them asking a peer that's experienced about the same amount of life as they have. You want them coming to you for their questions. You want them coming to you for their answers. And then when that happens, when they examine your life when it comes to Christianity, when they examine your life when it comes to your relationship with our Savior, and they come with those questions, be prepared to be greatly challenged at the deepest level of your belief with your own children. That's when I, as I was reading and studying and that thought came and I read that and I was like, man, that's powerful. To be prepared to be challenged at your deepest belief and practice by your own children. If, are we open enough? Am I open enough? And does, do my kids know where I stand? What my beliefs are? Where I am with God? Where, where I am with my relationship with God, do they know that enough that they could come to me and ask me questions that I would be prepared to answer, that would help them get to know God better, that would help them to see that it's not just church, it's, it's not just, we don't play it, we don't play church, it's real. That we come to church because our relationship with God is real. We don't come to church to get a relationship with God, we have it already. And we come here to worship, we come here to grow, but our relationship with Christ is real because he's a real person. It's not just a religion. Do my kids know that? Do your kids know that? Do the, the children and, and the young people involved in your life, do they know that? They need to be seen through us that the Christian life makes sense because the world tells them it doesn't. Social, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, the news, Anything that you can go to to get information from our world, and a couple of them I probably don't even aware of because I'm getting old now, um, the world will bombard your kids with the Christian life is silly. It's archaic. It's, it's the minority. It's not how things are done anymore. That's what the world will tell us. That's what the world will tell you. But does your life show your kids that the Christian life makes sense? That a holy life and a godly life is profitable? That right living is worth it? Or do we complain about things too? Do we don't show that in our actions? We come to church, we look the part, we may even teach a Sunday school class, we may even take the offering, we may even have a position as a trustee or a deacon, 
may lead the singing, we may sing in the choir, but does, does those actions that everyone sees are externals, does that match what's at home? Does that match that living a right life is worth it? The Christian life does make sense, logically makes sense. Is the right, is the best choice, is the logical choice. Make sure your kids can ask why, how come, but what about, and be ready to back it up. Be ready to answer it. Challenge your kids to, to come to you with those questions. Be ready to back your life up with biblical, logical answers. Know why you believe what you believe as an adult. I tr- we try, and, and I, you know, one hour a week on Wednesday, and then Brother Heath on Sunday morning, and Brother Ken on Sunday morning. We get those hours, and we take that entire time, and we teach a lesson, and we try to give wisdom that we've gotten from God to them. But they need it from you at home. One hour a week, two hours a week, Minus was 168 hours a week. Is that right? I don't know. Math real quick. Um, that's a lot of other hours besides those two or three. And if they aren't getting any of the, the wisdom and any of the example at home or sporadic, it's going to be tough. Now, we're not perfect. Again, we're going to make mistakes. So give us a break. Okay? Give us a break. Give us some leniency. But show them what it's like. Show them the godly life that you want them to become. Now, youth, that's not an excuse to just, well, my parents are hypocrites. They don't live at home like they do at church, so yeah, it doesn't matter to me. That's not an excuse. God doesn't look at that and say, oh, yep, you're 100% right. They don't, so all right, free pass, do what you want. God holds everybody as responsible for their own actions, doesn't he? We all have free will. It doesn't matter if your parents are the best parents in the world or if they're not. God still expects you to be godly. God still expects you to live that godly life day in and day out. And the thing is, is being here on a Wednesday night and being in a church like this, you know. The excuse of, oh, I didn't know, doesn't apply. God, you've had godly teachers way before I was here come in and give you godly advice from the Bible. We have a pastor that stands up here and preaches truth every week. And you sit in here, and you're bombarded with truth and direction and the examples on how to live godly lives. If you decide not to because someone was a hypocrite, you're still responsible for your own actions. God still expects you to live a godly life regardless of who else around you does or does not. So the best way, as I wrap up here, the best way for us as parents and adults to make sure that we're ready for when the example is necessary, we're living the life that is godly, that God expects us to, that is profitable. We need to look at ourselves and say, what kind of kid am I when it comes to my relationship with God? How is my relationship with my Father, my Heavenly Father, Is there any lack of obedience? Is there any attitude? Is there any lack of relationship that I need to to work on? And if there is, work on that. Become more godly. Live a life that is more godly. Then you can turn around and help show your kids, look, I wasn't doing the best in this situation, but God spoke to me. He convicted me of this, and now this is what I'm doing. And you can tell them, if you could tell your children that, if you could tell your teenager 
that I've, you know what, I haven't been reading my Bible like I should have been. But I'm starting to do that more. I just wanted you to know. You don't think that goes a long way with those kids? They may scoff at you. They may okay, Dad, great, thanks for telling me. But that goes here. It sits there. They notice, and they know. And it'll go a long way in their heart. Kids, youth, what can you do to live a godly life? Look to your examples. Look to those around you. Look to those that you've had in your life and the examples that they've given you. Understand, yeah, they've made mistakes. And you know what? You'll make mistakes too. When you grow up, you'll have kids. You'll be like, man, this is tough. This isn't as easy as I thought I was as a kid. You'll make mistakes. But understand that God expects you to read your Bible. He expects you to have a conversation with him once in a while and pray. He expects you to control your thought life and live a godly life. Their expectations. So rather than going towards ungodliness and worldly lust, God expects us to live a godly life, a life of godliness that's expected out of each and every one of us for numerous reasons, and I just gave a few. So with that, I'll end. I will pray real quick, and then uh, we'll have a few moments of prayer uh, tonight. Uh, make sure you get your prayer list out. Remember to keep Pastor and Miss Yvette in prayer as they return back uh, here for Sunday, that they'll have safety um, and everything else that's on the list. So I'll pray, and then we'll have a moment of prayer. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.